book squad goals. I can never talk when it's my time to talk. I'm always tripping over. Already it's going well today. I know. Look, I get so nervous. I get so nervous when it's my time to lead. I'm like, what if I fuck this up? What if I do a bad job? You both always do a great job. I promise. Which is so dumb because who cares? But But our listeners are the best and they would never. Yeah. Criticize us like that because they know we're just some folks talking about books. They would never. We're just babies. Just just babies. Don't hurt us. We're babies. So Susan is not here, as you may notice from the lack of her yes, voice. The lack of a voice. Um, so unfortunately, one of her friends decided to surprise her last minute and visit for 24 hours. Well, not unfortunately. That's fortunate for her. Unfortunately for us, but fortunately for Susan, who loves her friend. Well, yeah, fortunately for her, but unfortunately for us and you guys. Yeah. We're very happy for her that her friend happy for her, unhappy yeah. for you guys because you won't get to hear Susan's hilarious commentary. So today, today on Book Squad Goals, uh, when we're recording this, it is President's Day, which is appropriate for this book. Some of us, like Kelly, had the day off of work, and some, some of us needed to mail shit today and couldn't yeah. because oh yeah, it's President's Day. Yep. That was me. President's Day, a divisive holiday. But since it is President's <laughs> Day, which I think is really thematically appropriate for this book because it's all about politics and war, um, maybe we can start off by the good question of who's your favorite president and why? Um, well, I have a favorite president story that someone told me once that I'm not sure if it's true, but I hold on to it thinking that it's a really good story, which is that Calvin Coolidge, first of all, he's a weird fucking dude. He owned like a zoo. He owned like yeah. a bajillion animals. I have no idea what his policies were like or if he did terrible things to people. So I'm not going to say he's my favorite, but I think he's really fascinating um, just because of that. And also because apparently there was a party that he was at. I think actually my history teacher in a middle school told this story, so it must be true, right? He was at some party, and then some woman approached him, and she was like, Mr. President, my husband bet me that I couldn't get you to say more than two words to me tonight. And Calvin Coolidge was like, you lose. And then he didn't say anything else to her for the rest of the night. Uh, so that was only two words. That's, that's a good one. I'm still trying to wrap my head around he had a zoo. Yeah. It, well, he didn't act- actually own a zoo. He just had lots of pets and lots of weird pets. Yeah. Like, he had multiple goats and, like, various farm animals that were, like, at the White House. That's still... I mean. Hi, everybody. I am Emily. Um, I have... Really, I have a favorite vice president. If you know me, then you know that. Is it... Joe Biden. It is definitely Joe Biden. I love Joe <laughs> Biden so much, like obsessed with Joe Biden. I actually uh, just purchased his book on audiobook. Um, it's called Promise Me, Dad. And I haven't started listening to it yet because it sounds like it's going to be really, gonna be sad. really, really sad. But um, I'm really looking forward to listening to it when I feel emotionally prepared for that. So, yeah. So Joe Biden Maybe he'll run for president one day and then he'll be my favorite president. But I guess until then, Obama is my favorite president. Legit answer. Obama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. 
Thanks, Obama. I think, I mean, I think, uh, I'm Mary, by the way. I never said my Hi, Mary. I think realistically, you know, like, of presidents I've actually been alive for, Obama. Well, yeah. I've only been alive for, like, three. <laughs> and two of them were awful. You weren't alive for Coolidge? <laughs> you weren't, you weren't alive for Calvin Coolidge? Yes. But I think, um, I'm kind of into Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Not because of him as an actual president, but, like, young Lincoln, you Yeah, know? He's kind of a weird one out of the bunch. He was, he was, like, a weirdly handsome young dude. Yeah. And just, like, how tall and stuff he was and his hat. Very tall, yeah. I, um, Kristen, Kristen, friend of the podcast, who actually loves Abraham Lincoln and, like, frequently cites him as her like, historical touchstone that she would go back to if she could. Nice. Hmm. I just, I like Abraham Lincoln because he's, like, recognizable where so many of the presidents all look like the same old white dude. He was like, you see a picture of Abraham Lincoln? That's Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also really into George Washington. Like, as a kid, he was probably my favorite. Yeah. But, yeah. He was a solid. He, he said some smart things dude. back in the day. Yeah. He has some songs in Hamilton about him. Oh, see, I don't know that yet because I refuse Must to listen nice. to Hamilton Must until I can nice. see. I feel it. the same way, Emily. To have I'm like Washington that about musicals. I don't like to listen to. Look, well, I watch just don't bootleg like I did. I just want to see it live. I want to experience. I, I it live. will, but like, yeah, I just have a hard time enjoying the soundtracks to musicals before I fully like get the context. I mean, I understand that. I just, like, I had no access to musical theater as a child because the nearest actual theater was, like, three hours away. So it was like, you can listen to the soundtracks or nothing. Yeah. yeah. So I just listened to the soundtracks. Anywho. anywho <laughs> Off topic. Uh, today, today <laughs> we're going to talk about American War, a novel by Amara Lakad. I don't know if that's 100% how you say his name. Wait, so Emily, you watched the video, right? Okay, so I've, I watched a couple of YouTube videos um, of, like, interviews with him after reading the book. And, uh, yeah, so that's the way that they pronounced it in one of the videos. But then another video I watched said Omar L. Akkad, which is what I said last time. So I, I thought when I heard... Omar Elakad, I was like, that sounds better than what I said. But then the other person said it the way I said it, and then I was just like, maybe nobody knows how to say it, and he's just not correcting anybody because he's a first-time novelist, and he doesn't feel like he has that clout, so. He's just happy to be there. Yeah. Well, it's the same basic sounds, it's just a different uh, emphasis emphasis point. (laughs) Omar Elakad. Just say it real fast. Omar Elakad. Well, uh, As usual... This was, uh, as usual for me and Emily, I should say, this was a Book of the Month selection. <laughs> B.O.T.M., what up? Sponsor um, us. Hi, Book of the Month. Please sponsor us. We love you. We love you. Yeah. We still subscribe to you. This is a lot heavier than the other Book of the Month ones that I've been used to you guys picking. Sometimes they go really heavy. Sometimes they're really light. Sometimes it's the couple next door. <laughs> sometimes it's American War. Yeah. You never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they usually pick out a pretty wide arrangement of books and you get to pick. So if you want something more capital L literary fiction, you can get that. Or if you want a thriller, you can get it. YA lit sometimes. It's great, guys. 
If you want to subscribe, use my code so that I can get a free book. <laughs> I'll put it in the bio, in the show notes. That's what I meant to say. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We both got this book and we were going to plan to read it together. I think this was maybe before or right around the time we started the podcast, actually. Yeah. And then we both kind of like put it on our shelf and maybe forgot about it a little bit. And then later, uh, Kristen, who I mentioned earlier, who loves Abraham Lincoln, mentioned that she had read it and she loved it. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that is a book we have that we were going to read. So we put it on the list to read. I didn't know much about reading this book beyond it is about a fictional war in the future. And that's all I knew. But I heard a lot of buzz about it in the world of capital L literary fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of wanted to read it so I could feel like I was in the real world of scholarship (laughs) for a minute. (laughs) Um, It's gotten a lot of good buzz. It's gotten a lot of great reviews. This is Omar Elikar's debut novel. And it's a pretty uh, chunky ambitious first novel i think yeah and i think it's important to note that he is a journalist mm-hmm. um, yes who has reported on war and etc yes. <laughs> and it, yes. and in interviews he did say a lot of this came straight from his journalism experience yeah he has like traveled the world reporting on various wars and like this is totally his type of writing i think is reporting on wars and talking about war from Goodweed, Goodweeds, Goodreads, <laughs> Goodweeds. I'm good leaving weeds. that in there. That's okay. <laughs> From Goodreads, I promise you that someday when like marijuana is legal, that's going to be like one of the delivery sites. Oh Goodweeds, Goodweeds. You're probably right. Uh, Goodreads says an audacious and powerful debut novel, a second American Civil War, a devastating plague, and one family caught deep in the middle. A story that asks what might happen if America were to turn its most devastating policies and deadly weapons upon itself. Surat, Surat. I was just saying Surat. 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 I I was thinking Sarat because it's Sarah with a T. But whatever. Right. That's true. I don't know. I think I was saying Surat. We can say Sarah. Sarah Chestnut, born in Louisiana, is only six when the Second American Civil War breaks out in 2074. But even she knows that oil is outlawed, that Louisiana is half underwater, and that unmanned drones fill the sky. When her father is killed and her family is forced into camp patients for displaced persons, she begins to grow up shaped by her particular time and place. But not everyone at camp patients is who they claim to be. Eventually, Sarah is befriended by a mysterious functionary under whose influence she is turned into a deadly instrument of war. The decisions that she makes will have tremendous consequences, not just for Sarah, but for her family and her country, rippling through generations of strangers and kin alike. That is actually... The best Goodreads summary. Good job, Goodreads. You did it. That I have ever really read. Um, So this book is... There's a lot going on here, and there's a lot I want to talk about. And like um, a while back when we read White Teeth, I feel like this book is hard to say definitively, I liked it or I didn't like it. You know, it's not a yes or no kind of book for me anyway. Mm -hmm. So... For today's episode, I want us to discuss first and then give our 
overall thoughts and reviews. That's fine. At the end. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I had no idea what this book was about besides a war Yeah. <laughs> before I read it. Um, but the novel follows Sarah and to a lesser extent, um, other members of her family, her s- twin sister, Dana, her brother, Simon, and her mom, Martina. Mm-hmm. Um, and it follows her as she's growing up and learning. And as Goodread said, learning to become herself and being shaped by her surroundings. But what was interesting for me, and Emily pointed this out too, um, is at the beginning of the novel, the book really seems like it's setting up Dana and Sarah to be these foils for each other. Dana is really feminine and pretty. Mm -hmm. Lots of boys comment on her appearance and she seems to enjoy that attention. She seems popular. Whereas Sarah is really tomboyish. She's super tall. She's um, not really friendly, I guess. She, pretty early in the novel, she shaves her head because it's more practical. And I think even at one point in the book, it says she's not like other girls. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this relationship, and I mentioned this in a secret text to Mary because that's how I do. Um, this relationship... <laughs> wow, I thought I got the secret texts. Well, this is Mary's I book. I can't believe So this. I was privileging her. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, for the Game of Thrones fans out there, this it started off a very like Sansa Arya type um, yeah. comparison to me, like especially because I felt like there were points in the chi- the ch- section of the book that was about their childhood that um, Sarah was kind of like looking down on what her sister valued. Oh, yeah. for sure, and like calls her girlish, like that's a bad thing, and. You know, it's frustrating to me because obviously this is being written by a dude about a woman. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me question, like, what sort of lens are you seeing these female characters from? And it bothers me when men write tomboy characters and basically say, like, well, they're special because they act like men and they aren't like the other girls. And I honestly, like... I've read books where women write tomboy characters. Um, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? The character Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, just as a for instance. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like she's doing that not like other girls trope, right? Like, it's not that, like, she's inherently better because she likes things that boys like. Um, And that whole idea of, like, male-coded things as being inherently better really frustrates me. It... It's, I think Ellicott is trying to do something with gender in this novel, not just with Sarah and Dana, but with things other people Marcus. say as well, with Marcus. So, like, Sarah is, like, in a way, I think he's trying to make her seem alien. So, like, early in the book, um, there's a quote that says, in almost every other way, the other children were alien to her, possessed of a dramatic concern for things that seemed inane and devoid of adventure. The color and style of skirts, the arrival of facial hair, the mysterious topology of flesh. So it's like setting up Sarah. She's already alien. And I don't I don't know if the commentary on gender is intentional, but it's there. But even later in the novel, um, 
there is a group of women who come to see Simon Chestnut and touch his wound on his head. And mm-hmm. uh, they sort of like see him as this miracle person who shouldn't have lived, but they did. And Simon's caretaker at the time, Karina, thinks to herself, husbands never wore black. Husbands were never confined to that kind of passive declaration, were never compelled to sulk across the world for the remainder of their lives, walking signposts of mourning. Husbands were permitted rage, permitted wrath, permitted to avenge their loss by marching out and inflicting on others the same carnage once inflicted upon them. And that's like one of the big declarations that pops up throughout the book is these characters just think these randomly profound things and then it just moves on. I mean... Which is annoying to me. (laughs) I think that there are some genuinely interesting observations about gender and gender differences and dynamics in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I totally agree with what you guys are saying about the fact that it's frustrating that um, Dana's femininity is sort of, like, looked down upon. But I feel like as they get older... That kind of goes away. That sort of disappears. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think by the end, uh, she has a respect for her sister that she definitely did not have when they were children. So it kind of... They grow really yeah. close. Yeah. Which I like their closeness. And because I do think it's it could have easily gone into a place where these twins, because they're different, like, aren't close. But right. I like it that they're able to love each other deeply and have this really meaningful relationship mm-hmm. despite their differences and even before they experience this horrible tragedy like even as teenagers when they're di- or like younger like i guess when they're like 12 um where there's a s- large portion of the book that takes place around that age um they are close even though you know like the, some of the other kids make fun of sarah and but dana stands up for her and she's like you know fuck off like stop being jerks to my sister Mm -hmm. and then you know then she tells her separately like you can't like don't say stuff like that to these people or like don't do that yeah don't don't be a weirdo basically (laughs) um (laughs) but and sarah's like what i'm not a weirdo and dana's like okay (laughs) but um i don't know i mean i think that there there are some issues but i also think that there's like there is like a sense of of awareness about it and I wasn't totally put off by all of like I didn't feel like this was not like an anti-feminist book I don't feel like the things that are said and done in this book no. are really bad for women you know I felt like it was it I, depended on the character too another issue that I had with the way that Sarah was written is I felt like there was a lot of attention paid to her body yeah I don't know how to explain it, like, the unconventionalness of her body, like, even, even, like, okay, so she's, like, overweight by the end, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, even when she Mm -hmm. is young, there, like, there's so much focus on her bigness, right? How she's tall. Yeah. And they call her an, like, uh, the narrator calls her an Amazon. And she has to wear boys' clothes because there aren't any girls' clothes in the camp that, like, fit her. At the end of the novel, they described her as hulking yeah mm-hmm. at one point i don't i just kind of had a problem with that yeah and i don't know if i'm just like making too much out of that but i just felt like i like i'm very sensitive to the fact that women's bodies 
in novels are more often described in great detail than men's bodies. However, as a counter-argument to my own argument, um, on a similar scale, Marcus is kind of talked about throughout his life as being, like, very small. Like, even when she runs into him later, Mm -hmm. there's all this, like, he's like, oh, well, maybe they put me here because I'm not very big and so I'm not threatening. Yeah. So there is that sort of like give and take where like, okay, so she's kind of talked about as being like big and but in the same sense, like he's small. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And I do think there's a lot of attention attention to detail paid to physical appearances of characters just in general. Like I think there's a yeah. lot of description, like facial description. Simon gets a lot of description yeah. about how he's like stinky. and Yeah. And like. Has gross hair. <laughs> yeah. And. So I didn't I didn't necessarily have a problem with it, and I I also felt that because we are getting a sort of perspective of a teenage girl for a certain portion of it, and this person who is like right. growing and changing at a different level than the other kids around her, like she would be noticing her own body, right? And she would feel awkward in her own body, right? It kind of reminded me of in Sailor Moon. Oh yes, let's talk about Sailor Moon when everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, Sailor Jupiter is so tall." <laughs> Know, and she's like five six, <laughs> right? Like they're <laughs> oh they're God. constantly talking about how tall she is, and so I mean, like, because they're all Japanese. Kids that and age tiny. notice, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, people notice when there's someone who's different from them. Uh, I like, especially at the end of the novel, though, there was so much attention paid to her body in terms of how many scars yeah. she had. And how she was almost sort of, like, deformed from her time in the war. And I thought that was interesting as a, as someone who, like, studies disability studies. Yeah. Because it's almost forcing the reader to stare at her mm-hmm. and, like, engage in a way people usually feel uncomfortable engaging. It made sense in context because a lot of what we were getting was an observation of her from the point of view of a child. Yeah. Looking back on mm-hmm. on his life, this kid who, you know, he says that hers is the first naked body he's ever seen, which is surprising to me because, like, wouldn't you have seen your mom's body? But I guess... Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I saw my parents naked when I was a kid. Yeah, so did I. But... Because they were, they were like, this is... A, they weren't, like, naked all the time yeah. in front of me, but they were like, this is a child. I can change clothes. It depends at what point parents start to feel weird about it. Like, I guess it's different for different parents. Yeah. So it's possible that this kid had seen his parents and just didn't really have a recollection of it, but this was the first time he saw, like, another person's body that wasn't one he was, like, used to seeing or something. I don't know. But anyway, I think it it makes sense that he places such an emphasis on that later on because his – so much of his memory of her is about, like, being a little kid, like – just, like, kids openly gape at people Mm -hmm. who, you know, at anyone, really – um, but at people who, you know, when, like you were saying with the th- parts of her that are disfigured and we're used to being trained as we become adults to not stare at someone if they have a, any kind of deformity or anything like that. But as a kid, it's like, you don't know that. And so you just stare at everyone. You're like, hey, like, that's something I don't see every day. Exactly. Yeah. So. You stare. Yeah. I Something I don't feel necessarily like equipped to talk about, but that is important to the novel, I think, is... Sarah's body is, and Dana, like, they're racialized bodies, mm-hmm. too, because they're... What race are they? Do they ever... They're half black, half Mexican. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know why, like, I just didn't remember that. Well, but. it doesn't come up a whole 
lot. The Mexican part does a lot. I knew that they were mixed race because there was a Mm -hmm. part where they talk about, like, people saying, like, why would someone like her marry someone like him? It was more hammered in the fact that, like, their parents were of a different race than, like, what race they were. And the twins look different. Yeah, because she's, like, more... I guess she's, like, whiter look. I I got the sense that Sarah was had, like, more, like, black hair, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, there was a, a sense that, or, like, an actual sentence that was, like, Sarah got their mother's looks uh-huh. and says, like, has her, her mom's black skin and her mom's, yeah, like, black yeah. hair. Um, and then uh, Simon and Dana both have their dad's genes more so they have they're they look more yeah like which is just further separating her even from the rest of her own family well yeah and also like as far as like the sex appeal goes like there there are stereotypes about like latina women being sexualized um and just like in certain ways i think i mean because dana had like straight hair right Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just like lighter skin there's sort of this yeah there's this stigma about like straight hair versus curly hair you know and but yeah i don't know what did you want to say about that i don't know that i necessarily have i don't feel equipped to say anything like useful i just think it it's important for us to remember because i forgot while i was reading it that this book seems to take place in like a I don't want to say post-race society, but it seems like people are more mixed in the future, and yet at the same time, people are still real racist. And I just, Um, like, I don't know if I bought the way that that was handled, because, like, well, my main thing was, like, I understand that race isn't the major issue in the Civil War, but I have a hard... It is. It is. I have a hard time believing that there is an American Civil War that isn't mostly about race. And, like, they just don't talk about that very much. It's – I hate it. I mean, I have always lived in the South my whole life, and I have always hated when people say the Civil War was about states' rights. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about slavery. But it was about states' rights to have slaves. Like, is that not still about slavery? I mean, I understand that it was more complicated than that. But if states were allowed to keep slaves, I don't think that the Civil War probably would have happened the way it did, you know? Right. So, I mean, like, it's so important. Race is so important to the first Civil War, and it's hard for me to believe that a second Civil War broke out just on, hey, I want to use my gas guzzler car. Exactly. I'm really concerned about fossil fuels. Like, I think that there would have had to have been some other factor in it that just wasn't explained very well. Yeah, I guess... I don't know. I I didn't know why they were fighting. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it... Uh, my impression of it was that maybe parts of it were there were people on one side, which on the southern side, who were trying to hold on to the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think I mean, I do think it's possible that because like this whole this war essentially is about climate change, you know. Right. And mm-hmm. about when I do think that that's, you know, something if not if if a civil war is in America is not going to happen a about race, even though this is, I, I did get the impression that a lot of the people, you know, who were part of the South were basically just like, they weren't really fighting for the fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. They were fighting because they were there already. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're like, 
you know, not going to move there. A lot of, like, of the people who seem to be a part of this, like, South were lower income, people who didn't have the money to move out of these parts of the country that had been, you know, devastated by storms and everything. And then once they're there and once all this terrible stuff starts happening that the government Mm -hmm. is, you know, doing to them, the war doesn't become about that anymore. It becomes about you don't, you don't, you don't treat care us like about people. us. Yeah. All, every, yeah. all of your policy is for you and none yeah. of it considers yeah. us and the fact that like our reality is very different from your reality. Yeah. So it kind of like boiled down to like the North is a bunch of like uppity assholes that doesn't <laughs> that they don't like get like what yeah. the real people go through, which is kind yeah. of what this last election was all about, really. Yeah. Well, it's it's I really appreciated the complexity of the issue here because like, it is true that the people on the North who want to stop using fossil fuels, like, that is a good thing to do. And, like, that's the mm-hmm. right thing. But the way that they then, like, implement these laws and the way that they then deal with things is really terrible because it is still the government mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and still mm-hmm. politics and still, you know. So I thought it was, like, I was glad that it was more nuanced than just, like, this is the good side and this is the bad right. side. You know, everyone kind of seems awful in this yeah. war. I mean, I guess it is true that the South and the North <laughs> are like still very different places. Not even the, just at this point, it's like the South and the rest of the country. Yes. because origin in the first Civil War, there was nothing other than the South West and the North. Wasn't really. Yeah, there was a not a West. Yet. But I guess I'm just thinking about. Like, the South, even, like, Texas and, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, Arizona, just, like, the southern half of the country yeah. still largely is different just kind of, like, geographically. I guess, well, I don't know. I guess I'm thinking my experience growing up in Georgia versus, like, if I grew up in a city. Mm-hmm. Even, like, even if you want to say Atlanta, public transport in Atlanta is there, but yeah. it's not, not really. good. It's real bad. You know, like... I know everybody complains about public transport in even big cities like New York or Chicago or something. But it's not the same. Like it's more reliable than the Atlanta's public transportation is terrible. You just need to expect it to take you like two hours to get anywhere if you're leaving your neighborhood. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. The South is basically like, if you don't have a car, you're fucked. Yeah. Like, yeah. anywhere you live. Yeah. Anywhere. Even if you live in a city. Even if you live in, like, in Miami, the public transportation is yeah. terrible. Like, yep. I just don't understand. Everywhere. Why can you not get it together? I mean, why bother with Miami? Because it is going to be underwater soon. <laughs> yes. The Florida that was sea. Like, when I opened this book, I immediately texted you guys. Because I was Where's like, the Florida? first thing in here is a picture of the current map in 2085, which is when this is taking place, mm-hmm. and Florida is just not there. <laughs> it's just, there's just the water. Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, I like this book already. <laughs> I guess uh, jumping around a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there's a quote that sounds just like exactly like stuff I've heard people say in Southern Lit classes I've taken. Um, Sarah is remembering a book she read that said, in the South, there is no future, Mm -hmm. only three kinds of past, the distant past of heritage, the near past of experience, and the past in waiting. Man, whoever, whoever wrote this book (laughs) must have taken a lot of Southern Lit classes. I know. And like thinking about that quote, thinking, and, and Sarah says that this is the truest thing. 
that has ever been said to her. Thinking about that quote and thinking about the nature of this war, I'm wondering, or is this just a rehash of Civil War number one? Because, like, I don't know, it felt really familiar to me. The crazy rebel Southerners mm-hmm. versus everybody else. Because people still protest to keep the rebel flag mm-hmm. every Sunday yeah. on campus. Oh yeah. my God. Where I, I mean, am right now. People still wear, like, Confederate flag t-shirts. The KKK is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just- I think it is a rehash in certain ways. And I, I think it's just, like, taking it to the next step of, like, you know, the fact that, like, this war happened so long ago, but it wasn't actually really that long ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it is also still completely ingrained in everything, so much of culture. So I think it's interesting. I mean, the the North and the South are still so divided in contemporary culture, Mm -hmm. which is kind of frustrating being someone who... I was born in Louisiana and grew up in Georgia and certain assumptions are made about like the type of person you are just, you know, just because you're from the South, you know, Mm -hmm. like we all, (laughs) we all must be like racist and backwards and we don't wear shoes when we go outside and we've never seen snow before and we don't know how to read. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't wear shoes a lot when I go outside. Well, yeah, that's on me though. That's like a, a me huge, thing. That's not. I a am a huge thing. racist. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, well, but I, I have a similar experience being from Florida, where your assumptions about people from Florida are like, you must be a fucking lunatic, like <laughs> because everyone there is yeah. crazy and everyone there is garbage and every story is like Florida man chews someone's face off. Mm-hmm. Florida yeah. is a weird place for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know that's why no one was sad when it went underwater when it <laughs> became the Florida Sea. Florida does not yeah. get mentioned much. It's just like eh. it's just the ocean now. Florida Sea. <laughs> No one can, no one's like remember Florida? Yeah. The the little like prison she goes to is where Florida would be, right? That's true. Which is so appropriate. Yeah. Sugarloaf prison. Yeah. Sugarloaf. Was there a, is there a Sugarloaf Florida? Is that a real place? Um it sounds familiar. Because I feel like it does like there's a Sugarloaf Parkway in Georgia. There's tons of actual places mentioned in this book, and I was just losing my mind over it. Like, oh my gosh, they're in Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed they mentioned both Hattiesburg and Milledgeville. I know. What up? Talking about my stomping ground. They're in Milledgeville. They mentioned Hattiesburg at one point. Yeah. Yep. I was just like, I know these places. Oh, we're in the thick of it, Mary. Yeah. How did you guys feel about it being so Georgia? We, we really are in the thick of it because they talk about Mississippi a lot and they talk about Georgia a lot. And I was like, well, these are two places I know really talk about Atlanta a lot. Talk yeah. about Atlanta a lot. I, I mean, I do appreciate that this book is so rooted in a sense of place. And I think that one of the great things about speculative fiction is like it's trying to remove you from real life but not so much that it's unrecognizable. So I'm thinking about stuff like Cormac McCarthy's The Road, where it is a recognizable American landscape in The Road, but we're removed from it because, you know, there's like cannibals and stuff roaming the land. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
cannibals roaming the land. I think that Elikad has tried to remove us from what we view as contemporary America to show like, okay, you just have to forget what you know about America right now. I'm taking you to the future. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think he does that in a lot of different ways. Like part of it is the, there are familiar landscapes, like cities you might've heard of or places that are familiar but then people are living in, like, long-term FEMA-style camps. Mm-hmm. That's and, too real for me, because I have so uh, many relatives yeah. that were living in FEMA trailers for, like, a long-ass time after Katrina. These aren't even trailers, though. They're just tents. FEMA tents. Yeah. And they're eating, like, apricot gel out of a tube. Mm-hmm. And I thought the... It was very interesting. I mean, this is not completely the same thing, but... Mm-hmm. The biological warfare <laughs> that's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, with South Carolina being a quarantine zone. I want a I novel thought, completely about that. I thought that was really fascinating. And I just, like, I thought it was interesting when at one point, you know, Sarah is observing the border. And I think she's talking to Marcus and they're talking mm-hmm. about how, you know, if someone goes up over the border no one really tries to stop them but they shoot every single person who tries to come back mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. disease will spread they say it's like a slowing disease mm-hmm. and it makes people vegetables essentially like it yeah. sounds like it zombifies people yeah and what if there's a zombie that- outbreak happening over there and we just didn't even get that Maybe. story yeah Damn. Maybe that's Elikad's follow-up. Yes. Zombie Carolina. An American outbreak. Yeah. Yeah, because they're... So, like, all of South Carolina's quarantined. Yeah. Just everybody who has this slowing disease is locked in South Carolina. Well, yeah, if you're if you're there, you can't leave ever. No. <laughs> After a cer- They, like, brought out a certain number of people who, I guess, weren't infected. Mm-hmm. And then... Too bad, everybody else. The rest of them are, like, left there to die, basically. Yeah. I I want that story. It's yeah. a zombie story. Which sounds like it's pretty mm-hmm. similar to then what happens at, at towards the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. Of, or at the end of the war. Um, but we don't get as much detail about how that's really dealt with. Should we talk about, like, what happens? Because, like, I feel like maybe for those of yeah. people who are listening who haven't read the book, maybe. So... Mostly the novel is about Sarah growing up and becoming essentially like a assassin insurrectionist mm-hmm. for the Reds, for the um, Southern Army. And she's pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. And becomes hardened and unemotional to a lot of things, but is really good at killing people. And she even kills a famous general at one point. But eventually, she gets caught mm-hmm. and taken to Sugarloaf, where she is detained for seven years and tortured and all all kinds, like any kind of torture. Yeah. And all most people kinds. get thinner or buff when they go to prison, but she just gets really fat. Did it say she got fat? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like she was old. No, they were like, she was so fat, she was unrecognizable. Yeah. Uh, I must have like- Because she was only 31. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, you live a hard life, you get old quick. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But she, um, so she's in prison for seven years, it's terrible, um- 
they like waterboard her and I don't know. It's bad. Yeah. She gets out of prison and goes home to live with her brother. And the sort of like the last third of the book or so is about her trying to heal mentally and emotionally, both from being an assassin and from being in this awful like Guantanamo Bay adjacent prison for seven years. Mm-hmm. But then there's a turn at the end of the novel. So at this point, the war is like officially over. Yeah, that's the only yeah. way she gets out of prison is they're like, well, we signed some peace treaties yeah. so you can go home now. Well, basically yeah. they, they a, a separate, so then because the South seceded, then two different factions started to come up within the South, one being the rebels and one being the free Southern state who are basically like all about trying to figure out a way to create peace. And they were mm-hmm. like ba- the far more diplomatic quote unquote uh, part of the South. And so basically the North destroyed as much of the rebel force as they could while trying to make peace with the other half, the other side to the South. And eventually there just weren't, as, weren't enough rebels left for anyone to make a difference. Well, mm-hmm. so they thought. <laughs> <laughs> But then, so, you know, someone from Sarat's past, an old friend who was working in the war, comes to her and says... Codename Joe. Codename Joe. Joe, who's not even American. <laughs> His name He's is actually like, Yusuf, which we find out at the end. Yeah. Yeah. But he picked uh, the very creative codename of Joe. Right. Yes. Because, you know... He so he's like helped the Southerners throughout the novel, but and then at the end, you know, he's old, he's like seventy one, and he comes to Sarah and he says, "Hey, you want to get revenge?" The guy who accidentally like created this slow disease, yeah, <laughs> has been trying Science. to cure it forever. <laughs> like this whole time, this guy's been working in a lab trying to cure this disease he accidentally created. <laughs> And then he made an even worse and one. And then he made an even worse disease. Like, this, this guy, guy is the worst. At his job. Yeah. And so he <laughs> sold the even worse disease to Joe. <laughs> because that's what you do with awful diseases. He sells it to Joe, and Joe's like, hey, you want to start a plague and kill all the Northerners? <laughs> so Sarah, like, And threw- she's like, 100%, I do. Yeah. She thought about it for, like, one second, and then she was like, yeah. why the hell not? <laughs> and he's like, you realize that you're going to get this, too? And she's like, fuck yeah, I realize that. Yeah. Let's go. I mean, she's almost, like, making sure, like, I'm going to die, too. She's yeah. kind of over life at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, th- like, makes her complicated way up north, tricks some people, gets into this big celebratory event that is celebrating peace and reunification. It's like reunification a parade. Day or something. Mm-hmm. A parade. She's sick. She gives it to everybody. They go home. Like, everyone's dying then. Because mm-hmm. it has all mm-hmm. these delegates there from different states. Mm-hmm. They all mm-hmm. get sick. They all go home to their home states. It spreads, like, everywhere. Including the South. And I'm... Yes. My main question is... I don't understand why she didn't try to save her brother. Uh, I guess because, like, he, I mean, he was pretty unhappy because, like, she has that conversation with him before she does all this. Like, her last conversation with him is sort of, like, talking about their childhood and, like, asking him, like, do you remember any of this? And, like, he says, like, you know, like, it's been, it's really hard for me to remember anything, but I wish I didn't. mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, because it's like, like being able to remember what, what, what things used to be like, um, makes him understand like how much he's lost, Mm -hmm. you know, because like he is, um, and I'm sure that we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but he is like mentally disabled at this point. And, um, it, it seems like sometimes like he's gotten to the point where like, sometimes he feels like all the way there, but like, those are the hardest times for him because like, when he's able to remember things, when he's able to think critically about, like, what's happening to him, he realizes, like, he's not happy. And mm-hmm. so, like, I think she lets him die because she knows he's not happy. And she lets his wife die because she she fucking hates that woman. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> but she saves her nephew. And yes. he is in a framing device that I actually found successful for once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I do want to talk about this framing device a little bit, because, mm-hmm. like, as I was reading it, I was really confused, especially at the end when it switches. So, okay, let me just sort of explain. We start off the story from the nephew's point of view, and he said, we don't know at the time that he's a nephew, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he just says, like, he came to know Sarah, and he, like, is here to tell her story. We get her story, then at the end, the nephew is introduced into the story, and we understand then that, like, he's the one that's been telling the story the whole time. And at that point, I found it kind of weird for a second, because he's got this, like, weird omniscience where, like, not only is he telling his story, but he knows everything that's going on in her head. And, like, it at first I was like, how the hell does he know all this stuff? Like, how does he know, like, what she was thinking when they went to the market or whatever? But then we find out later that he's actually reporting all of this from diaries that she left for him so then i was like okay i'm i'm all right with that but like reading it it was very like disorienting him having all of this knowledge about like what was going on inside of her head yeah i sort of had figured that it was gonna go in that direction because at the like when she first goes to stay in this tent or not tent shed um it describes her that he he like, at the beginning of her staying there, she's always, like, writing. And if he sees her, yeah. she's writing. And I'm like, oh, she's probably diarying. 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 Because. <laughs> journaling. Maybe journaling is easier to because say. Because he's yeah. also been telling the rest of the story from the very yeah. beginning. So he has her whole history. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense, too, because he, uh, for, like, obvious reasons, when he becomes older, he becomes a historian um, mm-hmm. who really is focused on the Second Civil War. And so, like. Not only does he have a interest in this because this is his aunt and he grew really close to her before he, she, like, fucked up his life. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, also, like, he, like, the diaries are very interesting to him from, like, a historical, yeah, so, like, from a historian I, standpoint. Like, this works as a framing device, but I also was rolling my eyes a little bit because, like, he becomes a historian before he even gets these diaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, of course. Well, he like, kind he of explains. happens to be a historian. I, I don't think that he happens to be a historian. I think he becomes a historian beca- because he becomes obsessed with the past, which ruined mm-hmm. his life. You know, yeah. like these wars, he specifically focuses on this war because it is what it took really him away life. from his parents yeah. and yeah. made him. I mean, an it orphan. Ruined his life. <laughs> it also saved him, though. I mean, yeah. Well, it's it's it complicated. Home. His relationship with yeah Sarah is complicated because on the one hand, he clearly like admires her because they had a close relationship, and 
he kind of like understood her in a way that a lot of other people didn't. Um, but also like she essentially like killed his parents. Kidnapped so him. Well, kidnapped yeah. him and then killed his parents. Yeah. I mean, kidnapped him to save him, but also killed his parents. Yeah. <laughs> so and it seems like she kid like she paid these two guys to take him to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Which is the neutral state. And they were not very nice to him. They, like, smacked him around. Yeah. So. They're, like, pretty nice when they're all out there talking with Sarah. And then as soon as they get in the car, they're like, I'm going to slap you if you don't shut up. She yeah. did. He did slap him. And then he said, I'm going to break he your did. jaw if you don't yeah. shut up. So Yeah. It was basically like the ants and from James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, like... I don't know. That seemed like a not great situation. He was in an orphanage. Yeah. Like... Yeah. yeah, it fucked him up. That wasn't great either. It fucked him up, for real. Yeah. And so th- I think mm-hmm. that it makes sense that he was, like, he became obsessed with learning about this and just, like, dedicated his life to, like, understanding it better. So I don't think it's, like, a coincidence. Do we want to talk about Simon a We can bit? talk about Simon. This is your expertise, I, too. Yeah, I mean, I... I need to sit and think on this more, because admittedly I just finished the book this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> This book has a but, lot going on, and and I there's so much. Going but I appreciate on. how I feel like it fully deals with each thing that mm-hmm. it has going on. I never felt like there was something that felt like just thrown in and is out of place. You know, even if it doesn't fully deal with it for me, it at least tries yeah, yeah. to begin dealing with it. Like nothing feels like it got forgotten yeah. necessarily. It's very clean, and and everything seems to have a purpose. You know? Yes. And, I mean, a lot of stuff that I think wasn't addressed fully just doesn't have an answer. Yeah. You know, like, and that maybe is the point. But with Simon, I'm interested in him specifically because I think he's one of the more complicated characters in the book. Yeah. Because he, so, to back up to when they're children, Simon is, like, a complete turd. <laughs> and just, like, as, and, I mean, this is a good thing. This is a good point. Is he's awful. These this time in his life that he says later he wishes he didn't remember. Like, what would you do if you were a crappy teenager in the middle of a war where it was an option to like go be a rebel? Yeah, <laughs> you know it's not that outlandish no, to think. Not at all. Teenagers would join these groups. You know, he was a typical and then regret it. Boy is like the point that it yeah. was getting across. Like. He's an, yeah. he's a brat. He's not very nice to his mother. He mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, he's a dick in a time when he can just, like, go kill some people yeah. <laughs> to take out his crappy teenager aggression. But then later in the novel, he becomes more interesting to me. Like, when he was a teenager, I was like, I hate him. Let's move on. But later, it becomes interesting because during the attack on Camp Patience, where the chestnuts live, um, the mother, Martina, dies just outright. Mm-hmm. And they assume and that he died, too, at first. They assume yeah. Simon died. But then they find, you know, the people cleaning up the campsite find him and he has just been injured really badly, like got shot in the head, but somehow lived. And for years he is um, unable to talk, unable to really, 
show any emotion and he has a caretaker assigned by the government who come Karina mm-hmm. um who comes and takes care of him and he is essentially um like non-functioning. Yeah, he has severe brain damage. Yes. <laughs> severe severe brain damage. Yeah. But over the years Karina tries to work with him and talk with him and uh, I don't know, treat him like a person yeah. to some extent. Yeah. And he begins healing. And later in the novel, after not hearing about Simon for a while, Sarah goes back after she gets out of prison. And Simon and Karina have gotten married and have a child. Yeah. Which wasn't shocking to me. I was like, well. It wasn't shocking, but I was like, oh, no. Like, is she taking advantage of him? But no. Like, no. he's... He's speaking and making thoughtful, normal conversation. And this is the part of the book that's narrated by Benjamin, the six-year-old, or, you know, older Benjamin reimagining his six-year-old self. Yes. (laughs) Because he's fucking old when he's writing this. He is. He's like in his 70s or something. Which is Uh, fucking old. Sorry. Thinking, Benjamin, thinking about Simon. Sorry to our elderly listeners. (laughs) I know. To our elderly listeners, congrats for knowing what a podcast is. Yes, good job. For real. I'm so proud. Like, my parents both said, what's a podcast? Yeah. Yeah, same. And I said, it's like a radio show, but you can listen to it whenever you want. And they were like, why? My parents know what podcasts are, and they still don't listen, so. (laughs) Yeah. My dad listened to, like, one episode. And he was like, nah. I was like, was it the one where I talk shit about you? No? Was it the one where we talked about butt stuff? (laughs) No, he listened to the It episode because he he saw It, so he listened to it. That's good. He liked it. Oh, thanks. But Oh, no, the movie or the podcast? The the podcast. okay. (laughs) Sorry, Mary. Benjamin Benjamin thinks about how his dad is treated by other people, and a quote from the book is, The way other grown-ups treated Simon, alternating between overt gestures of sympathy and barely suppressed impatience made it seem as though he was not supposed to be this way, that there was a fault, a failing deep within the workings of him. But in my eyes, he was simply kind. Mm -hmm. I don't fully know what my complete thoughts are on Simon yet, but I think that this book is trying to do, or maybe unintentionally introducing readers to the social construction model of disability, Mm -hmm which argues that disability is something that's mostly constructed by society and society's views of what's normal mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not normal, abnormal, I guess. Um, Benjamin thinks that the way Simon acts, how one day he'll be, you know, cloudy, he says, and the next day he'll have conversations and be social Benjamin thinks that's normal because Simon's always been that way. Yeah. And it's his dad. Like it's his and it's his dad. And like that could be a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but other people see Simon as broken because this is not the way people have been conditioned to see people act, you know? And also because they know what happened to him. And yes, right. And they know what he was like before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even if they don't, they kn- they're already going in with an assumption that he is going to act a certain way because this happened to him and because he right. has 
mm-hmm. this disability. Which is unfair. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's something that we do, and this is not from a disability studies point of view. This is just from a Mary point of view. Um, <laughs> I think that that's allowed to. We often treat disabled people poorly because we assume that they're not capable of something but they're people you know like i'm not capable of some things Mm -hmm. disabled people aren't capable of some things like everybody has their strengths you know i mean it's like just because someone is disabled doesn't mean they should be treated like a child or pitied or anything like that Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's just, it's uh, patronizing. Yeah. It's really patronizing and offensive for people to treat uh, people with disabilities like children. Yeah. I mean, the way we treat children is also kind of patronizing, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, yeah. They deserve it. <laughs> How do you feel about the way that um, Sarah looks at Karina and Karina's relationship oh, with... Simon, because like clearly Sarah is yeah. like very resentful of the fact that like Karina, like she she sees Karina as like trying to like weasel her way into the family. Like when like in the first section where Karina's there, like like early on, like she keeps saying like she's not our family, mm-hmm. she's not our family. Um, like she even like mentioned something about like when uh Karina is trying to cut Simon's hair that she's like giving him a silly like bowl cut that makes him look kind of like a child and she throws the bowl <laughs> yeah and she's like I'm trying to fix this haircut but like it's kind of like we're stuck with it now <laughs> um but like she seems very like um resentful of Karina and then when she comes back and finds out that Karina and Simon got married like even like Karina is like you f- you think that I like basically raped him to have my child? Mm-hmm. Like she's kind of being sarcastic, but she's still sort of like obviously you resent me for like marrying your brother, yeah, and think that I am somehow like taking advantage of him. She's kind of being sarcastic, yeah, yeah, but she's not really. Well, I thought the rape thing was maybe a little like yeah sarcastic, but I mean, like, how do we feel about the way that Sarah views Karina's relationship with Simon as like maybe sort of like taking advantage of him or like trying to like i don't know yes sarah and karina have a huge blowout at each other (laughs) yeah and then they get super drunk and just yeah and karina's like i fucking hate you and you hate me but guess what this is how it is we're family now (laughs) and then she's like guess what i'm gonna spread a disease and i'm not gonna save your ass bye Mic drop. Literally. Now who won, Mm -hmm. bitch. But I am going to save my lesbian lover from when I was a teenager. (laughs) Well, I think she's just protective because, like, she's also protective of Dana when Dana is is engaged in a relationship with someone who Sarah basically is just like, he's not good enough for you. I think she, like, has these really – because her family, like, is so splintered and it has – is all that she really has, she's, like – fiercely protective of them and is always like assuming that anyone from the outside is just trying to take them away so i think that i think that her you know apprehension is like understandable i think it's not really fair considering it's pretty clear that karina does genuinely Mm -hmm. you know care for simon Mm -hmm. it seems that way so seven years is a long time to be gone Mm mm-hmm and not know what's happening, mm-hmm. not knowing how Simon is day-to-day, not mm-hmm. knowing anything. You know, I think Sarah assumes that just because Simon has 
you know, this disability, he's not capable of being in a relationship, which is also not a fair assumption to make. I mean, it's, right? it's going back to, like, infantilizing people with disabilities and treating right. them like children. People with disabilities, you know, like, are sexual. Yeah. And, and can be in relationships. And have sex lives and can be in relationships that are perfectly healthy, you know? Yeah. I mean... Mm-hmm. Like, clearly, Simon is capable of having reasonable adult conversations Mm -hmm. but like i think that it seems like he's a lot better by the time sarah comes back so maybe she's just having yes i mean just like to get in sarah's head a little bit clearly like she's still in the past in a lot of ways and one of the ways she's still in the past is like she still sees her brother as being the person that she left right like being the way Mm -hmm. he was when she left and he was a lot more I don't know, incapable of caring for himself. Yeah, like, he can walk, but he can only really, like, repeat what other people say to him. He can't seem to form his yeah. own, like, sentences or his own, like, like reactions or right. responses. But he also is doing a lot better than when he first arrived, when he could barely move and couldn't say anything. Couldn't say anything, and yeah, couldn't move. Right. So, so this book is, it's impossible to really really fully go through everything we could say about this book but i think we've talked about some of the biggest issues yeah i think so and now to back up what are our general impressions kelly you want to go first since you did your favorite president first (laughs) sure um i'm (laughs) kelly by the way (laughs) uh hi kelly Did you not introduce yourself at the beginning? I don't remember, but I don't think I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's fine. Oops. We both did, so by the process of elimination. So, okay. Maybe people thought I was Susan the whole time. Um, Oh, they weren't paying attention then. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we talked about it first before I could... um, Because it is a lot to process, and I did finish it today also. Yeah, we all finished it today just, like, for our listeners. Like, we – all of us, I think, spent a lot of today reading. Yeah. So this this is fresh. So I think it was good – good call, Mary, like, letting us kind of, like, talk about it before we read it. And I think where I'm going to – I think I'm going to give it a four is where I'm going to land on it. Because – bold. That's a high rating I think the only other book that we've read that I've given a four to is – all the ugly and wonderful things. Which, mm, yeah, so good. Yeah. yeah, which is a great book. It's a very so different book yeah. than this one. Yeah. That one was a lot. That was also a book it of is. the month yes, book, everyone. It's true. That was a lot easier to read than this. <laughs> yeah. This book is dense and uh, punishing occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I feel like I got a lot out of it. I feel like I thought, I like engaged with it a lot and I thought a, a lot about things when I was reading it and it really made me question like especially just I I appreciate which I already talked about the 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 nuances of two sides of a war and how I always appreciate when things aren't light and dark when there is you know an in between mm-hmm. um I think um there's so, so much going on in this book and I think that each thing that is touched on is like f- you know if not fully developed is engaged with and each thing seems to have a place everything feels purposeful and i feel satisfied with the mm-hmm. the way that the book works and the way that the pieces fit together and i'm always impressed by 
a framing device that works because I almost always have issues with them. And I feel like this one actually paid off. Um, and I, I don't know. So I really um, liked this actually a lot. I will say just to transition into my review. Hi, this is Emily. <laughs> um, I will say like the one thing about this framing device that kind of had me eye rolling is like, I kind of hate it in framing devices when it ends with this like, and then I sat down and wrote the book that you're well, reading yeah. right now. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, stop. Yeah. But at least this time it did make sense that he was writing a book because he is yeah. a person who yeah. writes and et cetera. Right. But it, it's still just one of those yeah. things where I'm like, Meh. it doesn't feel totally necessary. Like, obviously, this is where it led. But <laughs> but I mean, I like I said earlier, I am glad that he explained that, like, he got the diaries and that's where he was getting the majority of the story. Um, I thought that that was good. Mm. Um I gave this three stars on Goodreads, and I will explain. Um, there are parts of it that I really, really liked, um, and then there were parts of it that I felt um, dragged a lot, and that would be the beginning. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the beginning, the beginning dragged a lot, and I can I know why he did it. There was a lot of setup that had to happen in the beginning for us to like understand the story. Um, but it just took me a while to get into this book. Um, I think the second half was a lot better. Um, so I might give the second half four stars. The other problem I have with this book, and this is just sort of like a personal preference thing or like an expectation thing, maybe I should say, is like when I picked up this book and had the idea that like, oh, this is going to be a book about the second civil war, I was interested more in the why than the how. And I think part of the author's point with this book is like the why doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it's just about this like animosity and revenge and that can be about anything. Mm -hmm. So like, I get it. The why doesn't matter, but still as like a reader, I'm really interested in the why. Um, And so I would have liked to read a little bit more about like why this war was happening, which is alluded to, but not really like spoken about directly. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, like I realize that's a personal preference and I hate that I'm kind of like marking against the book because of that. It's a personal preference. I think a lot of people have though. Like we like answers. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I think like an expectation for me, like one of the reasons I was so excited about this book is like, I wanted to hear about that stuff. And so, but I mean, I did enjoy the characters. I do like a good main character that isn't, likable and makes questionable decisions that like, like murder are difficult to get behind but like you still have to get behind it because you're like following her the whole yeah. time and a main character yeah. that has a distinctive personality yeah so i was very very much into that so yeah, yeah. Hmm. now i'm the person who wants to give a half star <laughs> how dare you can't i know i'm gonna have to give it a three i wish i could give it a 3.5 yeah emily said a lot of the things that I think about the book too. Like there were some things I just wish I knew more about, but ultimately I would give it a three because parts of it just dragged on and on and on and on. And I found myself thinking like, do we need to describe the sewage for two pages? Like I know what sewage is. Or do we need to describe this greenhouse? I know what a green, you know, it's just like, there was a lot of description and a lot of weird imagery that just made me pause and think 
for a long time in a way that wasn't particularly useful for what was happening in the book. So I definitely wanted less of that. I feel like I could have edited out some whole chapters (laughs) and we still would have had essentially the same book. That being said... I think it's a great book, and I think this book would teach exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's lots of great stuff to talk about it from a teaching standpoint, and it could be really essential to opening up a conversation about, like, politics and socially constructed identity and how those two things interact yeah yeah but just my personal reading rating and that's what it is that's what goodreads is is. like you're not rating it like is this book good you're rating it like did i like this you know i've taught plenty of books i don't like (laughs) i will say that like i know that you guys both mentioned at different points that like you felt that this book was pretty dense and like i i felt like there was a lot going on in the book but like it was a pretty quick read still like i read this in five days which for me is like pretty fast Yeah, like, it wasn't dense to me in terms of, like, trying to understand it. It was more dense in the writing. Well, yeah, my, when I say, when I said dense, my, I was thinking more about what Mary was just saying about the lots of description and lots of setup. And it was setup that I found helpful a lot of the time. Like I said, I think... I totally understand why the beginning was slow. There's a lot of characterization that happens in there, a lot of setup that we need to, mm-hmm. like, care about and understand what happens later. But just, like, from an entertainment standpoint, like, the, I'd, I'd say, like, the first 50 pages took me just as long to read as the rest of the book. Yeah. <laughs> there, what slowed me down reading it the most was just weird similes <laughs> that kept popping up, like... Um, fried pickles that had a dishwater, an echo of dishwater. And I was like, what does that mean? What's an echo of dishwater? And I just... Yeah, I think... I don't know. I it was it. it was, yeah. like, it's weirdly apt. It's a weirdly yeah. apt description, but I had to stop and think, what is an echo of dishwater? Like, what might that taste like? I yeah. think it would be soapy and, like, kind of gross, like a bunch of old food. And that, it took me a long time because I was just pausing to think about the language. Yeah, I mean, but that can be a good thing, right? Yeah, no, it can be. And I definitely, like, for a debut novel, I think this is pretty impressive. Oh, for sure. Like, when his next novel comes out, I probably want to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's about something that sounds, like, not interesting at all. But, I mean, like... I don't like war stories. Just up front, I do not like stories about war. Don't like novels about war. Don't like movies about war. Don't like TV shows about war. (laughs) And... Yet, this book did keep my attention. And I think it was interesting and did a lot of cool things. And yeah, I would be interested in reading more from Omar Ellicott. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't like war stories, so I'm already kind of like set up to dislike it. But I did not. So I think that is a high mark for me. (laughs) High marks. So a (laughs) three-star war story is like a four-star other story. Definitely. Yes. All right, should we, like, move on to the other crap? On yeah. Here? Hey. Yeah. So Susan isn't here. <laughs> Wait, were you going to say something? <laughs> hey. I was like, hey. we have a featured bookstore this month. 
for them yeah. to start talking Mary, to. Mary, so like, do you want to tell us about the feature bookstore since Susan isn't here? Yes. Uh, so Susan's not here to talk about her featured bookstore of the month, but she did leave us with a blurb to read on her behalf. So Susan writes, this month we're featuring Church Street Coffee and Books in Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. Maybe I can't read and that's why I should be forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> Church Street Coffee and Books in Birmingham, Alabama. It's got your favorite things, coffee and books. They carry, Did she write this for me? Those are my favorite things. I, those are my favorite things, Uh-oh. too. Same. They carry a small but well-rounded selection of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and local press books in a cute little coffee shop setting. While there are not many events that take place at the shop, they do say they'll host authors looking for a spot to hold a signing as well as book clubs. Simply call or email the shop at churchstreetshop at gmail.com to reserve something. If you're in the Birmingham area and want to order a book they don't carry, you can simply text your book order and the staff will text you back in a few days with your when your brand new book arrives. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty just great. Just text in a book order. You can also order ebooks through Church Street and their partnership with Kobo. Church Street gets 50% of the profit, so it's a great way to support an independent bookshop from afar. You can do that from anywhere. Yeah. Also... For the love of all that is holy, order one of their famous breakup cookies. They're amazing. Visit the website at churchstreetshop.com to order books, check out their blog, or just drool over pictures of that cookie. I've heard so much about this cookie. Yeah, so if you want to look at this blog, or if you want to look at this bookstore, we did, Susan did do it. I cannot talk, guys. No one can talk. We're just I can talk. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, Susan Susan said I should like mention I should talk about this a little bit because I actually went to visit Susan in Birmingham and this is where she suggested we meet. And when I got there, she'd already ordered us one of the famous breakup cookies and it was delicious. I kind of wish I had one right now. They need to get into the business of delivering those to faraway places because I would order one cuz I need it. I want one. They're real good. Yeah. I want one, too. Okay, well, just got to go to Birmingham and get one. Yay! Thanks, Susan. It's not too far. Yeah. Thanks, Susan. Um, Listener feedback. Yeah, so we have listener feedback for a couple of episodes. Um, We've got one for Book of Speculation. We've got one for Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And then we've got a couple for Fifty Shades Mm -hmm. Freed. So let's do this in the order that the the episodes came out. And we can start with Book of Speculation. And maybe Kelly should read this one. Yeah. Yes. Um, Your turn to mess up reading something, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> you try it. All right. <laughs> I'll try. So it's not easy. <laughs> um. So this is Alex from Myrtle Beach, who did win the Book of Speculation giveaway. Um. Which is why this comment is coming a little bit late because I sent her the book so late because I'm a terrible person. Kelly, why? Why, Kelly? Why? Um. But. This is her little comment. Um, I really loved it. I would probably give it a four. I enjoyed reading the two timelines and the descriptions of how the circus lived. I really liked the fact that each character's descendant wasn't necessarily the descendant you expected, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. The sister's character bothered me a little bit. She seemed kind of bratty to me, but I guess that's kind of part of who she's supposed to be. That's how sisters are. And I don't feel like the relationship between Simon and Alice was fleshed out enough, but overall I really enjoyed it. 
Maybe a little bit predictable, but I kind of like trying to connect the dots before the characters figure things out. Ha ha. I will say I thought the neighbor was in love with the mother, but I didn't expect that they actually had an affair. But I did, though. They did. Kelly, I love the way you read that ha ha. Like, you really put your heart into it. Ha uh-huh. ha. Well, what am I supposed to do? Do you have, like, ha <laughs> <laughs> ha? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. All I right, think that's I'll, how Alex I'll meant start it. over. <laughs> ha ha. Ha ha. So thank you, Alex. Yeah. Awesome. Alex, I'm so glad yes. you finally got your box. I'm really glad you enjoyed and it. And... For those of you guys that have not won a special box yet, stay tuned because there's another giveaway coming yep. up soon, and it's going to have awesome stuff in it, and I'll tell you about it later. Hee <laughs> <laughs> Mystery. Mm. Um, so the next topic on our list here is Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and Mary... You missed our episode because you were sick. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you thought about the book? Because I know you were really sad you had to miss that episode. Yeah, I was really bummed. I I was like (laughs) the kind of sick where you just can't be upright. Yeah, Um, we were sad. And I was really upset because I loved this book so much. Ah, I don't remember what I gave it. I think I gave it a four stars out of five. That's what I did, too. Um, It's not... And you guys said this on the podcast, but it's not like high literature, but it's really entertaining. And Mm -hmm. there are some problems with the plot, but overall, like the Evelyn Hugo sections were really great and entertaining. And it, I just like, I love old movies with like Hollywood starlets and it's, I've heard stories about like what Hollywood was like at that time. And so it's fun to kind of have this imagined version of it and it's like just as trashy and scandalous as you would expect (laughs) are you listening to the you must remember this podcast i have listened to some of it because i feel like if you're into that stuff you would be into that i've listened to the bella lugosi Mm. arc and i've listened to the charles manson arc Mm mm-hmm I really need to listen to it. Also, fun fact, did you know that Karina Longworth, host of that show, is married to Ryan Johnson, director of The Last Jedi? Interesting. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. I just found that out recently, and I was like, whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Small world. Um, I don't really have anything, like, super insightful to say about the book. I just really liked it. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Janet from Statesboro, Georgia, had some feedback about this book and a question for us that like I don't know how we didn't cover this so I I feel like we really do need to talk about this Um, so Janet says "Um, I know there was a discussion about the structure slash framing of this novel specifically Evelyn's story inside or alongside Monique's story Um, I was curious as to what y'all thought about the use of the newspaper articles slash clippings that are scattered throughout the book. I liked them and felt they pushed the story forward slash did a good job of revealing how Evelyn's life was portrayed in, quote, the media. Um, I think the book wouldn't... The media. (laughs) The media. I think the book would have been lacking without the third perspective. So this is interesting because we really didn't talk about that third perspective at all. Um, I... Love it (laughs) so much. And I think it's really, it represents something that old movies do a lot. So, like, in a lot of old movies, and I can't think of necessarily, or I don't know, like, I think they do this in the pajama game, for example, where it's like, 
all the workers are saying, man, work sucks. I think we should go on strike. <laughs> and then a newspaper falls down onto the screen oh, and totally. the headline says, workers go on strike. Yeah. And it gives you a minute to kind of read some of the article. I mean, old movies used to do that all the time where like a newspaper would zoom on the screen and you'd have a like sometimes a good 20, 30 seconds to read it before the plot <laughs> moved on. And so I think that that's this Using articles from papers in The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is a nice way to kind of recreate that old-timey feel and capture what gossip columnists were like at the time and move the plot forward in kind of like a succinct way. And I think when we were talking about it, Mary, because I know like we talked about it in text a little bit because you Mm. were like gushing about how much you were enjoying the book. Um, Yeah. One of the really cool things about the the little newspaper articles it's like without that we wouldn't really get to see how much evelyn is manipulating the media to tell Mm. her story the way she wants it to be told she is a master yeah which i think you were saying was like one of the things you really liked about the story yes because like everything she does is so calculated and she's constantly thinking about how the gossip columnists are going to portray any situation she's in. And the way she manipulates people is just like chef kiss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So good. And it does sort of give, it gives the reader an opportunity to see like, like Janet said, how the media portrays Evelyn, because we as the reader know the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could see this sort of formation of, like, her, the, the media creating a story which Evelyn tried to feed them about, you know, her having a falling out with, with Celia or, like, them being, like, competitors instead of, you know, lovers. So mm-hmm. that was interesting, too. Yeah. Thanks, Janet. Yeah, good catch, Janet. Um, so Fifty Shades. Yeah. I would like to read this comment from Devin. Yeah. Okay, yes. Please read the next comment, Kelly. Because this is from my friend Devin. Um, Who, didn't you go see the movie with Devin? I went to see the movie with her. All right, well. So, um, she says, you, oh, Devin from Brooklyn, because also she's here <laughs> with me. Um, <laughs> you guys touched on most of the movie, but here are my qualms with it. I'm so ready. Yes. <laughs> One, the inclusion of the sexy architect. Was she planted? Did Christian set this up as a test? Why does she know his brother? Why oh was God, she in right? Aspen at the same time? Did she help him pick out her Yes. Ring? Why? Girl, yes. <laughs> we don't know. He, they were, because they, they kind of mentioned how Gia was like such good friends with, what's his name, brother. They should have just named her Red Hair. used to date. Because that's what she was. Then it seemed like they were having an affair. But she was helping him pick out a ring. She was helping him, but they didn't ever really go into that at all. They, we, well, we they just didn't had go to into assume. anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> it was just a bunch of 10-minute storylines. Yes. yes. Her second comment, sexy hair stuff. Like, maybe he knows how to braid hair so he can pull it, but, like, it's a French braid. I can't even do that. I still don't understand. Well, look, Christian Grey is meticulous. Yeah. A French braid takes meticulation he probably learned it at like finishing school or something he watched a youtube tutorial um (laughs) yeah like christian gray ain't gonna do no normal ass braid he ain't gonna do some like fishtail braid or whatever he's gonna do a french braid because he is bougie i don't know how to do a french braid especially not on myself i can do it on Mm -hmm. myself i can do it on probably not my cat penelope would murder you so 
her next comment. The fact that they did a flashback of the first two movies. Like, did you <laughs> oh, know the span God. of their relationship is, like, less than a year? Why was this a thing? Who approved it? Are you allowed to use the same song in multiple films? <laughs> yes, because that's, like, the Fifty Shades of Grey song. Is that, like, Love Me Like You Do song I, for some reason? I, like, wasn't even aware that that was being reused. All the songs what sounded the same for? to me what except for, for the amazing song love about like bad boys. Bring heaven to you. Like you do. Yes. Um, I'm going to leave that in there. <laughs> Good. Um, okay, so then the next comment. The fact that they chose Jamie Dornan when he refused to show his dick is so stupid. The audience is female. I've seen enough tits in my lifetime. Who passes up a million dollars? Also, like, this Jamie is a movie Dornan. about sex. That should be, like, bare minimum. You have to show your dick. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Bare minimum, get it? I get it. Well, I mean, also, like, the rating system is incredibly biased. Yeah. Yes. And if he had done that, then they probably would have said, oh, no, it has to be NC-17. That's like in Blue Valentine when they tried to give Blue Valentine an NC-17 rating because Ryan Gosling goes down on uh, Michelle Williams, Mm -hmm. which is BS. But how many, like, PG-13 rated movies are there blowjobs yeah. in like yeah like i'm sorry that there's so a sex scene where the woman's pleasure is the focus yeah. of the mm-hmm. story like yeah i didn't realize that was so offensive because it, you know why it is because you can't procreate with a a female orgasm yeah that's true. So no that's sperm. Just you can't procreate with a blowjob either. I hate to be the bearer of bad I news. I mean. Oh. <laughs> There, you could, That's true. You could grab, like, quickly give the blowjob and then, wow, the sperm. You could over. spit it out, put it in a cup. Look, no, spread this your is leg. too complicated. <laughs> I'm this not saying an NC-17 episode, likely, but it is possible. Um, yeah. I know. I am, like, blushing from your... <laughs> <laughs> well, fan Mary. Um, <sighs> what, what else was I going to... Oh, yeah, we were talking about also the fact that, like, they still signed him if... She, if uh, Dakota Johnson was like, I'm not showing my boobs, like, there's no way oh, she yeah. would have been cast. There's in no movie. way. No. No way. So. Welcome to Hollywood, or yeah. to quote SNL, welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, don't get me wrong, because, like, even as a woman, I can appreciate a nice pair of boobs. Yeah. I don't, I didn't sure. not want to see her boobs. I wanted to see his dick. I just, you know. Exactly. Exactly. I did not want to be in the theater. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, you. I was were. like consciously trying to ascend to another plane. Yeah, I feel that existence. as well. <laughs> Me, no snacks, and a bunch of milly. Mary, why didn't you have oh, any dude. snacks? That was I don't that, know. Was that was foolish. That was foolish. That was just wrong. Can I read the last comment? Yes. Yes, please. Carrie from Atlanta, Georgia. Carrie, who has two precious angels. Carrie has such sweet babies. Carrie, send us pictures of your babies so that we can feature them. Hemi and Edward. By babies, we mean cats. Yes. Just for everyone listening. Two (laughs) angels, Hemi Hems and Edward. I'm partial because I have an orange cat named Edward. Mm -hmm. She has. But Hemi truly has my heart. Yeah. Carrie says... 
I still haven't seen Fifty Shades, but I feel like I got the whole movie from listening to the podcast. Yeah, please just you don't ladies, go see it. Just don't. Yeah. You ladies have great chemistry, and your sense of senses of humor bounce off each other very well. And that groups of women oh. having discussions are way more peaceful than groups of men. No interrupting, etc. If this were Lord of the Flies, y'all wouldn't even need a conch to pass around. Well, oh. Carrie, I hate to <laughs> burst your bubble, but there's some editing that goes into this so that we're not interrupting each other all the time we interrupt each other constantly (laughs) but like very respectfully yeah yeah and it's mostly because we're doing this over skype for those of you who might not know this we uh, are never ever together when we record this we're always doing it over (laughs) well not even skype but over google hangouts even emily and i who live in the same town i want you to be here yeah (laughs) (laughs) you stay in your home i'll stay in mine it just makes for a better end result yeah when the sound is coming from two separate but emily and uh kelly i almost said carrie (laughs) no carrie emily and kelly edit us to make us sound good yeah or and like we're not interrupting each other so a lot of what gets cut out is oh no wait you go ahead Mm -hmm. or what were you gonna say oh i was just gonna say that like uh blah 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 yeah there's a lot of that they get cut out. <laughs> also, sometimes they have to edit out, like, oh, wait, my computer's doing a thing, or I have to go to the bathroom, or I have or to open the I door need to make my cup of to tea, my or my cat cat's out crying. Of the room. <laughs> or, like, which is hey, actually, like, my Bluetooth decided to stop working, which happened Penelope today. Penelope has been quietly going, like, like trying to get me to notice her because she's like sitting on the floor by the door and now she's just like gotten into like a loaf position by the door like waiting for okay but like cat noises i am not gonna ever edit out because cat noises are like (laughs) the best brushes of angel you would probably edit out edward who just stands outside the door and goes nope wouldn't do (laughs) it that's a good sound though remember edward's purr that was like the most beautiful sound i have ever recorded guys i want you to know that p's been sitting very peacefully by me this whole time just being cute he's looking at me right now such a sweet angel (laughs) kitties are angels but thank you thank you so much thank you carrie for being nice that's so nice of you to say nice things and i'm glad that this isn't lord of the flies but i totally agree with you I'm glad that this isn't Lord of the We're Flies. We're all glad it's yeah. not Lord of the Flies. We are all glad. Yeah. Oof. But nice book reference there, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, right. so, yeah. What's on the blog? What's on the blog? What's on the blog? Mary and I wrote a blog post about the most awesome movie to come out in February. Wakanda forever! <laughs> Wakanda! Black Panther. So we liked you it. You should go check that out. We did like it. Really liked the soundtrack. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. I just want you to know my wedding playlist is now just going to be the Black Panther soundtrack Black Panther on repeat. soundtrack on repeat. Yep. That's fair. So get ready. It's going to be lit. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't read our review of Black Panther, go check it out. Um, yeah, it's there. We'll talk about Hollywood actor Michael B. Jordan. Yes. Love Michael B. Jordan. Love, love, love. If you don't love Michael B. Jordan, what the hell is wrong with you? I like it when you call him Michael B. B. Jordan, because he's... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, I am recapping Bachelor Winter Games. Um, it's Bless only you. <laughs> It's only going on for two weeks, so thank I... Thank God. It's, yeah, thank God. So I'm only doing two <laughs> recaps, because there are going to be two episodes per week. 
So I did one in for this addition last to week. the regular Bachelor. Yes, and I'm not recapping that shit. I am going to continue my live blog, my live tweets, but yeah. By the time this podcast comes out, Winter Games will be over. So you will have two Winter Games recaps to read. And look, even if you are not watching Winter Games, which like, why aren't you watching Winter Games? But even if you aren't watching it, you should just go ahead and read my recaps because I pretty much cover all the important shit for you. She does. I have read the recaps, the first recap, and it is entertaining, even though I have no desire to watch the show. Oh, are you not going to watch it, Mary? I don't know yet. It's Even I'm watching. Like, come on. If I'm Kelly watching it, you have it. to. It is only four episodes. You can do it. Ari, Ari has just discouraged me so much. It's so much better so than the Ari Ari episodes. isn't there. I don't know. Well, yeah. I don't know if he's going to show up. I feel like he probably will. Look, you know, Nancy Kerrigan is going to be on this week to teach them figure skating. That is what oh, I am boy. here for. So I heard. I'm very excited. But where's Tanya, though? Justice for Tanya. You know, she's busy at the Emmys. Not the Emmys. The, the Oscars. Academy Awards and shit. <laughs> you think she'll be there? Probably. She, she the went Globes. to She went to the Golden Globes. Why wouldn't she go to the Academy Awards? Because the I mean, Academy the Awards is fancier. Mm. <laughs> Look. They're inviting less people. I don't know if that's true. I don't um, know. A&TM recaps are still happening. So, um... Check out Susan. that. Susan's bringing us all of the Tyra drama each week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Susan, for that. Mary? <laughs> yeah, yes. We're going to yeah. do YA Book Club at the end of the month. YA Book Club Winter Games. I got it right here. I started the reading it. book is Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert. Yes. Brandy's stunning novel... On love, loss, and redemption explores identity with a vivid cast of characters and elegant language that will have readers craving more. And I'm five pages in, so that's all I can tell yeah. you. Did they, did they just say Brandy's novel? Like, they referred to her by her first They're name friends. instead of her last name? No, I just skipped the oh, last okay. part. <laughs> I it was like, Brandy who Colbert. does that? <laughs> you know, my girl Brandy. My mom wrote the, the review for the back of my book, so... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're Look, talking. My students do that shit all the time, and I'm like, do you know this person personally? What's happening? We're talking about that on the blog. And now, what's next on the pod? What's next on the pod? My favorite book. This is the Mary Soap. And a movie <laughs> I'm unsure about. <laughs> A movie that I feel like we're all going to love and Mary is going to be like, but it's not yes. like the book. I am so fucking excited about this movie because Alex Garland, Oscar Isaac are teaming up again after Ex Machina, which is like one of my faves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been hearing uh, lots of like critics have been saying that this movie is great. Yes. If um, if from context clues, you don't know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. We haven't said it. It is yeah. <laughs> Annihilation. Yeah, The movie... <laughs> the movie directed by Alex Garland and the book will probably come up. Um, yes, which well, is- it's gonna come up because I read it for. This. I read it too, <laughs> and it was really short, so it's not Jeff that big of a Vandermeer. deal. And I, I encourage you to read the book in yeah. preparation for the movie. It's an easy read. and the podcast because it's a very short and very good book. Um, yep. So we'll be talking about both the book and the movie adaptation of Annihilation on the next. Mini sode. No, no, and it's an other sode now. No, other sode. The next other sode, and then the next full episode. <laughs> the next book. The next regular episode. Book-pisode. 
the next book that we are going to be talking about is No One Is Coming to Save Us by Stephanie Powell Watts. And I, which is Susan's it's pick. It's Susan's pick, so she's not here to talk about it. I really don't know very much about this book, aside from I've the fact- I've heard good things. Yeah, I've heard good things. I've heard it compared to The Great Gatsby, but I've also heard that that's an unfair comparison. So take hmm. that with a grain of salt. I have, I know literally nothing about this book at all. So I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times when we pick, when we like have books, like most of the books upcoming on the list, I just like don't read anything about it i buy it and then i just start reading it me too because i think yeah. that's fun that's pretty smart so yeah yeah um so hi everyone this is kelly speaking hey kelly what's up what, what do you want to say i just wanted to um tell you that you should subscribe to this podcast mm-hmm. if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed to it why why, why? when it's just gonna make life so much easier for you Really, I'm doing you a favor right now to remind you. Are you listening on your phone? Let, just let me guide you. <laughs> Open up your phone. Look down at your screen. Step one. Maybe. I I uh, encourage you to download Overcast, which yeah. is the app that I or use Or Pocket Cast, I think is what it's called now. Oh, did they change the name of it? I think they did. I don't know. Do they want to not on, um, I, sponsor not on us? My phone. Because, hey. Maybe. But um, it's a really good app. Maybe it is called Pocket Cast now. I guess my phone hasn't updated yet. But um, my phone just says casts. Wow, casts. Yeah. Um, like discarded casts. None of that really matters. <laughs> anyhow, um, anyhow, go download an app or go on your iTunes podcast app. Please search Book Squad Goals in the little search section. And you should be able to find us. Mm-hmm. And then when you find us, just go to our little podcast page and press subscribe. Please. And there you have it. While you're there, you might as well write us a review and give us a rating. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that, in the near future, there will be a giveaway that you'll be able to enter probably. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I'm going to be telling you about that soon. Definitely. But I just want to keep you in suspense so you get excited about it for a minute. Yeah, totally. The point is, like, come on, do it. Also, follow us on all the social medias. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Goodreads. We're not very good at Goodreads, but uh, just we try. You can also add us as friends. Hey, you know, one of the comments we read today, though, was from Goodreads. So, Oh, really? I -hmm. didn't know about that. Yeah, so we are checking the Goodreads. So if you leave us comments on Goodreads, we will read them. Yeah, we just don't post a lot on there, but because we there's not a lot to post on yeah. Goodreads. Goodreads is just kind of an interesting platform. But follow us on all these things. If you have any comments or questions, you can always send them to us via like anything. But also, our email address is booksquadgoals at booksquad.ink, I N K like a squid, and our website is booksquad.ink like a squid like a squid. The tiniest squid. Very a small. whispering squid. ASMR squid. <laughs> hey, hey, it's what? me. ASMR. ASMR <laughs> squid. <laughs> ASMR squid. <laughs> if you want us to stop, go subscribe. And we will stop. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay. I'm someone who wasn't expecting ASMR was like is like cringing right now. <laughs> Or, or feeling real good. 
that they real have- good right now. Yeah. I didn't know, but now I know. What is ASMR? I gotta look this up. And you're welcome. We did that for you. Okay, bye. Thank you.